Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast, where I am delighted to be joined by Will Kern, the Chief Event Einstein of Endless Events. And the topic of this podcast is the ever-changing role of production in the event industry. But we don't just talk about that, we talk about so much more. We talk about if we will ever be able to order whole packages for events online. We talk about content and how it builds authority and relationships and how it's a core strategy for endless events. We talk about how designing your own job, something that Will does very well, and having small scheduled family and friends breaks prevents burnout. We talk about how the pandemic will raise the bar for all events. And we talk about how sustainability and DI are more important than ever, and how hopefully a benefit of the pandemic will be an improvement in these areas. We conclude by talking about how VR games and those types of environments may be the future of the event industry. I hope you enjoy this podcast, and please do uh, invite others to subscribe and to download the podcast and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much for listening. Now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. So, Will, thank you for joining us today on the Pathca- podcast. 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 Thank pa- you for joining us today. The- <laughs> so, I was going right. to say the Patcast because my middle name is Patrick. <laughs> ah, there you go. You heard it here first, folks. Um, thank you for joining us today. It's really nice to have you on the Event Manager Podcast. I know you're kind of super experienced when it comes to podcasts and interviewing and things in the industry in general. But if someone doesn't know you, and I know when you do live <laughs> events, you look out for those zeros. If there's a few zeros <laughs> out there um, that don't know you, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and how did you end up here? I love that. Yeah. When I say like at the beginning of my session, how many people haven't heard of me? And like, um, I hear, see a bunch of hands go up at that point or, you know, zeros in the chat. Then I go, oh my gosh, yay, I get to like talk to a new audience. But no, yeah, for those who haven't heard of Endless and myself before, uh, my name's Will Curran. Uh, I'm the chief event Einstein of Endless Events. Um, yeah, we're, we're basically a nationwide event company inside primarily the United States. We also service Canada and also a little bit of Mexico as well, but primarily focused on the United States. Um, and yeah, we, uh, we have three pod- three podcasts now, which is how we originally met on the event icon show and through IMEX and everything like that. And, um, and yeah, just basically trying to help educate the industry as much as possible and try to break things a little bit, kind of do things a little bit differently than everybody and have fun along the way. The, the bright yellow, green, kind yeah, of endless lot- colors uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely stands yeah. out. Exactly, because everybody wears black in the industry. You know, they want to like blend oh, yeah. in. Don't see me, and we're like, we want to wear lime green. We want people to know us. We want to be excited. You know, we're the guys that are running around high fiving everybody at the events. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we we like to we like to have some fun. But what do you? I mean, you consider yourself a, an event management company, a production company, an AV company, all of the above. <laughs> a little bit of all the above. Um, I think that the the transition for our company, we primarily, if you had to give us a label, which like labels are so hard in the industry because you know a production company could mean three different things in our industry, right? And and if you go outside the industry, it also can mean a film production company. But for us, um, you know, production company is probably the best label to be able to describe us. But now that you know technology has now become the center of every single event, we're finding that we more and more start to bleed into that event management. Um, side of things um, that people are not just looking for, hey, set up the production, run the show, make sure it runs smoothly, but they're asking about strategy. 
strategy, especially because of all the content that we're putting out and we're kind of trying to think about a the events a little bit differently. Um, people are really pushing for a lot more management level kind of services, right? You, you, it's no longer just, oh, hey, the production company sets up the stage and runs it, but instead it's, oh, I need you to also find the furniture that's going to be connected with all the TVs so people can virtually conference in. I, I need someone who can, um, you know, build out all of the content as well because, you know, whether you liked it or not, now we have to edit a million videos after a conference because of all that post-recorded content. So um, definitely still, we describe ourselves as a production company, but, you know, it's tough because I'm also, we're also not a full blown blown uh, event management company yet. <laughs> nice. Yet, yeah. No, it's interesting because I, I, you know, we're seeing a big trend. Uh, just releasing it tomorrow, actually, the the hybrid event evolution guide that we're releasing. Um, that um, someone you know very well, Brant Kruger, uh, wrote with us. Uh, awesome. Um, one of you know, we did a survey recently about who is the first person or the first type of company you go to when you're planning a hybrid event, and the top answer is now the the event tech. It's the virtual event yeah. tech provider, which is a little bit surprising. I mean, you know, we gave a lot of options and that was one of them. Maybe if you kind of bring a few options together, that might be a bigger number. But is that something that you're seeing? And, and are you kind of, I guess, the outsourcing for some of those companies, if you don't mind revealing? Or, or do you kind of see yourself in a, in a different role and not necessarily partnering in that way? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely saw a complete flipped in script for sure. Like I used to joke that, you know, the technology was the last thing. It was like the cherry on top. It was the thing that got like the breadcrumbs at the end of the budget. But then, you know, because of the pandemic, it completely shifted everything where everyone came to us first and said like, what should my budget be? And it dictated a lot of ways. Um, and yeah, and, and definitely Endless's model of our company has always been that we, we believe that technology is moving so fast that it is unwise not smart to be able to dig your toes in and say, this is the exact technology you need to use. Because, you know, we very much thought that same way when it came to physical technologies like AV is that, you know, for example, LED technology, we didn't want to buy a thousand LED lights because literally next year they would announce one that's twice as bright, twice as good. And it's definitely that, um, Moore's law of, you know, every year, everything like multiplies exponentially getting better. So we've always thought that owning the technology was the bad idea because it moves so fast. But instead, what you do is for, for us is because of our position in the market, we have such thought leadership that a lot of these technology companies are coming to us saying, please use us, please use us, please use us. So we have this kind of wide breadth of being able to tap into any technology. And then our, our kind of special sauce is our implementation and how we do it. Um, the ability to take things off of the play to the planner, make their life easier. And that's very much like, you know, our, our mission statement is to create the equation. So the idea of taking something complex and distilling it down to the simple equation uh, is really what we're all about. But definitely we're, we're noticing that um, people are coming to the technology companies first to say, like, what do we do from here? And um, that's given us a, a really, really good position in, in the industry. So you're seeing a lot of people going to the C-Vents and the Hopins and those, and then, and then do you work with the tech companies or do the people come to you as like an, an additional kind of service? Both, both. If, if the client's coming to us and says, I have no idea what I'm doing, just help me figure this all out. We'll piece it all together from, we'll ask them all the questions to find what platforms or uh, what technologies they need, what hardware they need on site, um, what their layouts look like, all that sort of stuff. But then also too, because a lot of these tech companies got, you know, so busy so quick, they came to us and started saying, we need you to just help us implement, right? And, yeah. and that's, again, a, like a, I think a very common characteristic with these technology companies is they're technology companies. They're not designed to be event management, event production, event planning companies. They're, they're just like, let me yeah. build this awesome app and give it to you. Can you just run it all? And for most planners, they're like, I need someone to do this because now I have 4,000 other things I have to do on top yeah. of it. So, it um, is so quite funny. And yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the tech companies are in an ideal world, they want to be SaaS companies, right? They want to have this tool mm -hmm. that you just like go run and use it. But what <laughs> totally. I think is very much, especially on the B2B side is event, you know, planners don't really have the capacity to just like learn production and figure it all out. They, they could yes. theoretically do it, but it, it doesn't make sense, right? So you need this extra resources and, and how they find those extra resources is really, I find that fascinating because I think in a normal in-person event, the AV production side of thing would always be a sort of separate thing, but now mm -hmm. it's not necessarily, or at least in, in the way it's kind of sourced, it's not separate. Totally. It's a hundred percent integrated. And, 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 and you're right that, you know, a lot of these companies, they're targeting the, the enterprise grade 
you know, is what they want, right? There's kind of this life cycle of a SaaS company that you start off kind of being B to C, like individual, like you $20 a month plan. And then you're like, oh, well, wait, I can't, having a thousand customers at $20 a month is way more pain in the butt than having one customer that's paying you 20 grand a month. So what they end up doing is trying to like move up market and go to, to enterprise. But what a lot of them aren't prepared for is that when you go to enterprise level, the handholding is like so much higher. You have to really be able to give um, the tender loving care to these customers because they're they're spending a lot of money with you. And um, I think that you, a lot of companies end up failing because of that, because they, they, they aren't prepared for that. They want to just have this model of, you know, sign up on our website, you take care of everything, self-service, good to go. But especially, especially in the events industry, no, no, no one does it. No one, no one look at all the, let's talk non-event tech. Like, let's look at furniture, for example, like all these big furniture companies, they wanted to set up these shops where you could go in and order the chairs and place your order. Boom. Good to go. It comes and delivers and then they're good to go. They all tried it. And none of it worked because everyone <laughs> wanted to talk to a sales rep. They want to get advice on what was best. They wanted to, you know, negotiate a deal, all those things like that. So I think that, um, very much we're seeing that same effect happen to event technical technology companies. Why do you think that is? I mean, is that just the nature of events? They're so high touch and need personalization that that's never going to change? Or do you see that changing at some point? Yeah, I, I think it would be cool for it to change for sure. And I, I think it could change in the future. Um, you know, the same way that, you know, for a long time, you'd go into a fast food restaurant and you'd be like, why am I ordering from a human? I can just like do this on screen. And now we all we do is do it from a screen. Um, I think that the industry has a level of expectation of what it wants, right? And I think that comes in with it as the first starting point. But I think also, you know, if I if I were to take like a really hypothetical guess at to why people like the self don't like the self service model, is because you know our industry lacks a lot of like certification and barriers to entry. And so I think our industry really tries hard to make what we do really complicated in order to prove value of what we do. So can you imagine that if you told your boss like, oh yeah, I just went and ordered the furniture. I went in on the shop and you know clicked, ordered a bunch of things and it just showed up, right? They'd be like, and why do we pay you to be, you know, senior event planner on our company, right? So I think a lot of times that um, we have this like false stipulation that we have to make things complicated in order to make ourselves that fifth most stressful job in the world rather than trying to um, find ways to make things simpler. And then I think a little bit, maybe dash a little bit of uh, fear of technology too. I mean, like this, this last year really showed us that um, people in the events industry were really technology acknowledged adverse. They were afraid of apps. They're afraid of technology, right? Um, you see it with, you know, how many people you know that are still using Excel to do their spreadsheets rather than putting in Google Docs and collaborating on it. Um, so I think that you add this fear of like, well, what happens if I place the order and it double charges me or, you know, anything like that, you know, you're just really worried about making this big purchase. And then I think, and then let's also dash in the fact that they're all high ticket items as well that, you know, you don't go online and order a Bentley online in a shop, right? Um, you order a take, Tesla online, right? You can order a Tesla online. I was about to make that exact analogy. And so it kind of takes that first mover advantage. And then you you kind of, what was smart about Tesla is they targeted like the, the, the early adopters, the really technology people that were totally cool, putting down a deposit and hoping their car showed up at their house, you know, a month later. Um, so I think mm -hmm. it'll start to happen over time. Um, and I think that what you're going to find is that um, there's been like the rise of the event tech nerd over the last year as well. The, the people who are like really nerdy about platforms and apps, they're now the heroes that everybody looks to. And now they can kind of help pave the way to say like, this is how it should be. Um, so I think that kind of scatters in a little bit of <laughs> Will's random so, thoughts all together once. <laughs> well, I think your last thought is partially the generational thing, right? That, that idea that the new generation will be used to ordering groceries online, ordering other things online, and it'll sort of make more sense to order something like that online. But can you see a future product where you, I don't know, order a hybrid event for a hundred people at the Javits center, you know, and there's a sort of uh, package, online. you know, that you just go like, okay, order this. <laughs> it costs, I don't know, $10,000 and it'll be delivered at this time. And you show up and you tell them where to place the chairs. Yeah. I, I, I you know, I don't know. Um, I, I want it to, I think that in order to get there though, the, the information 
is so that kind of model i think is really good when the consumer has a lot of knowledge and understanding right the reason why tesla can crush it is that people like like i watched when i got my car i watched like a hundred videos on it i you know read the manual i was talking to other users i drove one like i knew everything about that car before i got it so i think that the difference with maybe the events industry is that we need to get to the point where, yeah, if you're deciding to order everything on Javit and you get the right chairs to show up and the AV shows up and your event app is attached to it and everything like that, you have to understand every single little element um, of it to be able to do that. Now, the question becomes, though, is an event too complex where you really need multiple planners in different areas, right? We have our catering person, we have our AV person, we have our, you know, this sort of thing. Do, do, is there too many like stakeholders in that that planning conversation that's gonna make it too hard to have a one single, simple checkout process? Now, the question becomes, I think the first step will be each individual element of it, but that's not gonna make things easier because now we're still managing five different vendors and everything like that. So maybe it'll take for you know one single event management company to be like, yeah, we can order everything online. But again, if you do that, your model totally changes and now your your value for what you're doing is totally different, right? It's about execution, it's about marketing, it's less about you know customer status, or I guess less about you demonstrating your unique skill that you have. Interesting. Okay, well, maybe that's something that Endless can get into. It sounds like yeah, you're maybe. always trying different things. <laughs> I like so, to break things for sure. <laughs> for sure. You do a lot of content. You put out a lot of content. Uh, you know, I don't think I know of any other production companies, whatever that means, because I do agree that production is this term that is used for so many things. Whenever anybody talks about that, I'm I, they do production. I'm like, what, what does that actually mean <laughs> for you, yes. right? That could mean oh, so many things. But you do, you know, a lot of content. You put out a lot of great stuff. You you do whiteboard Wednesdays, or you did, which I always thought were great. The way of kind of explaining and, and bringing things down um, to, to simple, you know, simple ways of understanding things. Uh, you do three podcasts. You mentioned. Why do you do all this? You know, and <laughs> how do you kind of does it work, or how do you how do you kind of show people that that works and that that helps you kind of get ahead. Yeah. So for, for the content kind of thing for me, um, when we decided to do it like years ago, I mean, we started writing blog posts 10 something years ago or so. Um, it, it was very much a leap of faith in a lot of ways. Um, when I first started, it was because I thought to myself, you know, I was reading the book Epic Content Marketing and it talked about how like you need to build out like a media company inside your company and how buyers nowadays research everything and how very much the power of the salesperson has switched and that it used to be that the salesperson kept all the information. But now it's people are going to Google and research everything ahead of time. Again, the industry is getting more and more towards this point. Um, and I basically thought to myself, well, let me think about all the last big purchases I ever made right? Uh, a car or deciding to move into a new apartment or buy a new computer. And I realized like I Googled everything. I looked up everything I could on it and that I ended up buying from people who helped educate. Like most recently I got into car detailing, which is a complete departure from the events industry. I've just got learned like trying to teach myself how to wash a car properly without scratching it and things like that. And this brand Adams is a very famous like uh, soap and wax and polish manufacturer. And what I realized is that I ended up buying their products because they had so many YouTube videos showing them how to use the products, educating you on how to properly wash a car and everything like that. And um, this is a more recent example, but I think that we end up buying based on this content um, in the future, right? Rather than the person who sells you the best or has even the best price or whatever it may be. So I very much mirrored my buying experience at first. And it, it, to kind of answer the question of does it work, uh, it, it definitely changed over time. When I first started, we were just publishing blog posts about like really cool lighting and video setups. And we were just like, this is really cool. I love how they use the lasers. Or we were talking about the Olympics and how like, you know, back then that was like 10 years ago, they were using the LED uh, badge or uh, wristbands that would all light up and do pixels across the place. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And what I found is immediately my customers who are already kind of familiar with my brand were going to the blog and saying, oh, I like that. Can we do that at our event? And it, I realized an immediate opportunity to do upselling. But then what I realized is that it can also be used to attract a new audience. And so what we started seeing value in is that when we start publishing, we start ranking on Google for certain keywords. Um, start like, you know, deciding to talk about event trends. We wrote a trends article. Oh, wow, that ranked number one. And then people would come in. And then once you kind of figure out a funnel to be able to capture their information, keep them subscribed and engaged, it started working really, really well. And what I kind of realized 
my kind of ultimate aha moment was actually probably like the year I first met you um, is when I went to my first IMAX and it was really wild. I remember the moment when I was like, this works is that I was, um, I was standing next to Sean Holiday from crowd mics and he, and we we're just sitting there and he knew everything about IMAX. I barely knew anything about IMAX. I didn't even know what IMAX stood for, what it was, you know, like I just showing up and, um, I'm standing there with him and he's talking about like the, the, where the tech startups kind of compete to like win the title of best tech startup of IMAX. And I was like, Oh cool. This is really neat. He's like, yeah, and this company is here and this, I've never heard of any of these companies before. And he goes, and then all of a sudden this woman walks up to us and goes, Oh my God. Hi, Sean. It's so great to see you. He gives her a, gives him a hug. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, and and then she turns to me and goes and looks at my badge and goes, you're Will Curran from Endless Events. And it's Dahlia. And that was the first time I ever met Dahlia. And I was like, I've never met Dahlia before. She had heard of me and she was a huge fan. She like couldn't wait to talk to me. And I realized it was because that content that we were putting out, it built this kind of authority for us in the space. And so um, where it worked really well for us is it built those relationships without us really even having to do them. Like I built a relationship with Dahlia without I've ever met Dahlia and without having to really do any work other than creating that content. So, um, yeah, it worked really, really well for us. And, you know, ultimately it's how we get all of our business now. We're 100 percent inbound. We follow like the HubSpot uh, inbound methodology. Um, and, you know, obviously now we have three podcasts. I think at that time we were barely starting event icons up at the time. And, um, you know, it definitely just, just grew and grew and grew. And then now it's all about like, Hey, constantly just trying to find the questions that people are asking and giving them the answers. And I think that's one reason why, like we, we very much transitioned away from being just, you know, trying to call ourselves an AV or production company is that, you know, for a long time, we realized like we have this ability to keep changing the market because when we first started writing content, people weren't even sure if they could use the AV, like the company, the AV company outside of the hotel. They were like, I can use another AV company. I thought my contract said I had to use them. And so we started writing this content about like how to get around restrictions and things like that. And then now it's like, feels like everybody knows they can use a different AV company. So I think one big reason why we're always constantly making content too, is we want to stir things up a little bit. Um, kind of talk about what no one else is talking about. Um, and, you know, uh, yeah, just try to be as helpful as possible uh, and add as much value into the, the industry as possible. So so why three podcasts? And, and also <laughs> I wanted to ask, how many people do you have working on content now? Uh, I think we're at 10 total people in content, I think, now. Um, and that's just and, internal, and your own endless content yeah, to put just, on the website, to blog, to do all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, video editors, writers, uh, uh, lifecycle marketers who write the emails that get sent out to you to guide you through like the journey of content. Um, and that's yeah. 10 full-time? Yeah, yeah. Um, wow, that's a so, big, so, <laughs> big department of the company now. Yeah, yeah. Very, very big department of the company. It's... Oh, it's, it's ironic. Now it's one of the smaller departments. We're now growing that department. We kind of like have a life cycle. We, we grow marketing and then we grow sales and then we grow operations and then we grow all the admin stuff kind of as we're doing yeah. things. So what's funny is like, it's actually one of our little bit smaller of our departments now. And now we're growing it even more because we're continuing that life cycle. Um, but yeah, why three podcasts? Um, well, it started with event icons, um, which was, um, selfishly my chance to use, a, a blab, which was like a video chat podcast. I don't even call it a podcast. It was like everyone could hop in and out and a couple people. I were remember well, used... it was like four people on a on mobile Yeah, phone. four that people on screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, you probably were on when we were on Blab. Um, yeah. And it was just, honestly, it was my chance to experiment with it. I was very much about like, you know, playing with social media platforms and people were really talking about it. I was getting a lot of buzz. And so I was like, I want to try this out. And honestly, I had no intentions of it being like now running for like five years straight. I was like, you know, maybe if I get like, a dozen episodes as this would be cool but i just decided to do like very low effort everyone hops on i didn't edit it at all like i literally just uploaded it then to the podcast software and the podcast was kind of like the secondary nature of it but um it was kind of my also like what i realized is after two or three episodes is it was also a very selfish way an easy way to get to talk to people that i wanted to talk to because i could just be like hey you want to come on the podcast and no one's like no i don't I'm above that. They're like, oh, a podcast. I haven't been on a podcast or, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I'd love free exposure, you know? And so it was really a great opportunity just to meet people. So that was like how I ended up building this network and like how we ended up meeting and building a relationship. And I think that it was really, really cool to be able to, to do that. And then, you know, one thing I learned from it though, is that we decided to do video and we did it every week live on Wednesdays at a specific time. And it was just like, I'd be like traveling through Europe. I think you remember this. I was going through Europe and like recording it from like the bedroom in a corner 
at like 2 a.m. in a, like a like a hostel in Europe while I'm traveling and stuff. So it was just absolutely crazy. Um, and then so we did that for like two years or so. And then uh, Brent Kruger, uh, who you mentioned earlier, uh, and I were, you know, he was one of our hosts on Event Icons and was like, we should do a show just about event tech because we were so nervous. We just wanted to talk about technology and stuff. And it was something that like him and I, whenever we were at conferences or speaking together, we would just like sit for hours and just talk about what we saw at CES, what news came out from Samsung and things like that, or this event app was doing this, or, you know, oh, look at this technology and how it could be implemented in the events industry. And we're like, you know, we should just like record these conversations. And I think too, all the event tech companies were trying to get on event icons a lot. We're like, we need to kind of like a separate conversation for event technology. So we decided to make that one. It was kind of Brant and I's chance to like nerd out on technology stuff. So that one's been running now for like two years or so, and it's uh, audio only. I learned my lesson on that one. Um, and just get really, really nerdy with it. And I think the thing I learned is that, you know, when you start with like one piece of content, you kind of want to start to make those tracks, right? It's like kind of when you build out a conference, you decide to do like different tracks for different disciplines. Um, you know, event icons was really great for a lot of like, we kind of beginner target personas because we talk about like how to plan events, tips and tricks. And that's what really that buyer and uh, beginner buyer persona is looking for. But then we realized that there's these hardcore nerds who love our brand, but we're just like, I want to go deeper on technology. So that's where we created an event tech podcast. That's and a bit like more- having different Twitter accounts for different uses, right? It's like, if yeah. you want to, like, if you're into fantasy football, for example, you probably don't want to do that from your same Twitter account that you're doing like your <laughs> event stuff, right? Because then yeah, it's like, yeah. no, like nobody's going to want, they're not the same audiences. Right? People are going to get confused on it. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then more recently, we created the Event Brew podcast, um, which was um, ironically, um, we talked about like trying to break out the mold of what you traditionally are doing was kind of my opportunity that I was sitting here going, I'm getting pigeonholed as the event tech guy now because we have an event tech podcast. We obviously have a technology, a production company. I was like, I want people to know that I can talk about strategy, that I can talk about general trends and things like that. So I was just kind of looking for something a little bit more unique. And I knew that um, I wanted to do audio only again. And um, I forget what how the concept kind of came to be. I want to say maybe I was having a conversation with Nick Borelli. And I think I knew I wanted Nick in as a host because I just like him and I could just talk about anything. That was one of the, the cues that I would want someone as a host. It's like it was just easy to have conversations about and we could come up with the topics like left and right. And um, we came up with this idea of like the view for the events industry that like all the other podcasts were primarily talking about like tips and tricks and news and things like that. And what we wanted to do was like let's like really – share our opinions because no one's afraid everyone's kind of afraid in the business world to share their opinions so we're like let's create a controversial podcast we call it event brew uh it was sent around this idea that we'd always have something to drink at the beginning of the episode so you always hear us talk about what we're drinking at the beginning of every episode and was just kind of a chance to like share our opinions our thoughts and um yeah just really uh we call it spill the tea. Just get really controversial sometimes um, when it comes. Nobody to drinks that's, coffee on the podcast, right? Everybody drinks uh, different what, types what's of I, tea. What's ironic is, yeah, no one drinks coffee. Which there's a coffee like mug on it. So like, tea, Tui and I are more tea drinkers. I'm very much a tea drinker. Tui's like mixed between tea and like juices and things like that. Nick is always drinking something incredibly disgusting, like Mountain Dew or something like that. And then what you'll find is like Dustin's the beer drinker, so he's constantly has a different beer uh, on the on the on the podcast. <laughs> um, but I yeah, like, like the a idea. Podcast that you can yeah, drink the a beer idea like. At. Exactly, exactly. And so like the idea was like diff- clearly different themes. And, you know, to be honest, we probably would have way more podcasts if I had unlimited resources, but I just don't. Um, so I have like limited editing time. I have limited space because we write a blog post for every single podcast that comes out. So but the idea is, that, you know, creating different audiences and different moments for people to engage with our brand. Because, you know, they might not like event tech, they might not like event icons, but they might like event brew or they might not like event brew, but they like event tech. Um, And what we find is that we have sometimes crossover, but then sometimes very different audiences across the board. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to just wrap this up with with a question around kind of burnout and you do so much. Have you ever reached the limit (laughs) and, 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 you know, are you afraid of, of spreading yourself too thin? Um. That's honestly such a great question, Miguel. <laughs> you know me so well that to ask me a hard question. Um, I think the the I haven't quite reached the the level of burnout. I work really hard to like build little breaks along the way to be able to avoid this ultimate need for like a a long vacation or whatever it is. So there's a couple of things that like kind of key in that allowed me to avoid burnout. First is I love what I do, right? Like 
people ask me all the time, like, oh, if you were to sell endless or if you were to, you know, um, you know, exit endless or, you know, what would you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. I love, I literally get to like design my job every day. I get to do the things I love. Like I wanted to learn about video content and creating video content. So like we create whiteboard Wednesday so I could learn how to film a perfectly white whiteboard and all these things that like I learned about, a lot about cameras during the time. If I want to, you know, learn about a software, I'll just go do it. So that's one important thing is I'm like anything I'm passionate about, I have the ability to go towards. The, the second piece of it is that I've always designed and it ended up getting kind of translated into the book, The Powerful Engagement, which I discovered after I started calling it this, but I call it rhythm. The idea that it's not about like a big long break. It's not waiting for winter vacation or the two week vacation you're going to get, but instead it's about the little breaks along the way, especially for event professionals who are usually working Friday, Saturday, Sundays, usually don't get a week traditional weekend to kind of reset each week. So what I started doing is building in little breaks along the way. So most people know this, but like Tuesday night, I go get dinner with friends. Wednesday night, I have a board game night. Thursday night, I go see like every movie that comes out in theaters. Um, so I'm a huge movie buff. Um, and then Fridays is usually like hanging out with friends, you know, Saturdays, sometimes hanging out with friends again, but then Sundays, like I disconnect, I you know, do a little bit of planning uh, and plan for the ne next week. But I very much focus on like watching movies, vegging, turning off my brain. But the idea is like having these little breaks along the way to kind of <gasps> catch my breath. Um, rather than trying to like hold my breath for an hour and then try to get one big breath in at the end. Um, and that's really helped me avoid burnout. Um, and also to just, uh, I, I really love my team. They work so hard. Um, and, and we see so much stuff that ends up happening around endless and it's not all just Will Curran. Um, most people don't realize that, but, um, my team's absolutely incredible. So I'm able to delegate to them. They're able to crush it. They're able to make the work happen. Um, and so I think the mix of those three things has really allowed me to avoid being burnt out. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. So um, I wanted to cover the future of the event industry. I think your, your current title on LinkedIn is the guy who talks about the future, future of the event industry. So <laughs> what, where do you see us going? I guess, you know, I don't want to ask the crystal ball question of when the pandemic will end, because I don't think any of us really <laughs> know. But sure. if you imagine a world kind of post-pandemic, um, when we're not as worried about restrictions, when things are open, uh, when we can meet in person, where do you see, what's going to be different when that happens, I guess, is my question. Yeah. So I think one of the first things that we're going to start with is like, let's start with the obvious one that most people answer is that like technology is going to be a huge integrated part of all of this, right? There's a reason why we say hybrid is the future, hybrid is now, all that sort of stuff is that people are craving the ability to, to tune into events virtually and engage with them. So that's pretty obvious, right? And then you pair that kind of with this larger trend that is now happening. And as Mark Zuckerberg is now calling it the metaverse and this idea that eventually people are going to come kind of join this new level of internet where people are joined via VR or AR or whatever it is. And it's this larger interconnected universe of things. Um, so I think that pair that with that trend, everything's moving more and more digital as we go along. Um, but I think if I had to pick one like big thing that's gonna affect the future of the events industry, is that, you know, people really are craving a, a really good experience. And I think the pandemic gave an opportunity for the less successful, I'll even air quotes, events to be able to happen. And because they aren't happening now, because they might have been like, look, we can't go virtual. It wasn't successful. The content wasn't good, whatever it is. I think what you're going to see is kind of the lack of better term, the trimming of the fat of the of the the, the bad events and the bleh events that are coming. And now the bar is going to be raised when it comes to it, right? Especially because people have the opportunity to turn in virtually. People are going to sometimes decide to not go to the in-person experiences that were blah, but instead they're gonna attend and put their money and invest their money to attend the events that have the wow experiences. So what I think you're gonna see is that this collective raising of the bar, the events industry, is gonna make it so events, like you gotta be on your A game, otherwise people are gonna say, I'm not gonna attend, 
or you know what, I'll pay less money or I'll, I just want to attend virtually, whatever it may be. Um, so I think that's really what's going to happen over the short term of the, the events injury because of the pandemic is this raising of the bar. And then if I had to pick another thing too, is that I think that we're also going to see this kind of collective misstep that has been felt because of the pandemic. We were making a lot of, I think, inroads in terms of things like sustainability, um, DEI, a bunch of these larger trends that were not related to technology and things like that. And I think that if we don't do it properly, we can almost like this last year have no further progress of what's been happening. However, I do think it's really exciting because digital events and virtual events has created new opportunities that help advance those agendas. Um, so for example, let's talk about sustainability. If you're on less planes, if you're traveling less, right? You're, you're printing out things less. Uh, like how many people got rid of their printer in the last year, right? I hope everyone because printers are bad. Um, but I think that that's gonna allow us to be more sustainable moving forward. But then let's talk about DEI, right? Like I was planning an event in, I think it was like October of last year. I only plan like one event for fun uh, a year, just kind of keep my pulse on things. And um, an attendee came up and, you know, for years and years, this event's been going on. And it's usually in like a remote location, like in the jungle or no electricity and things like that. And this attendee says, hey, I really want to say thank you for putting on this event, which um, if anyone's seen the movie Groove, this is like why I do events is the nod. So this was very much a nod moment. It goes, you know, thank you so much for putting on this event. I literally would never been able to attend this event. I'm like, why? Because like, I'm in a wheelchair. And we never thought about the fact that we have an attendee who's wanted to attend the event that because we do it in a jungle or we do it in a remote island, they can't physically get there. But because of that, they were able to attend their first ever event. And I think that hybrid events create this opportunity where we can be truly inclusive no matter what. And I think that there's a huge ability for that to continue moving forward. We just have to be able to consciously keep doing it moving forward. I'm definitely no expert in DEI. I'm definitely no expert at 100% sustainability, but I know the writing on the walls that these things need to happen and we need to keep our focus on them. Um, so I think that if we don't though, it's gonna be like, this was the year that never happened or the two years that never happened, however long it ends up lasting. And I think we need to make sure that that progress continues to move forward because it's necessary for the events industry. Um, and I mean, just I think humanity in general. That's really interesting. Um, so just to capture your first point, do you feel that um, events in, in a post-pandemic world, the physical events will either be really big, like a CS and sort of everybody kind of wants to go there and, and will now maybe uh, make an extra effort to be there because they, they want to feel that. And then the ones in between, or, or then you'll have the small ones, which are maybe more regional where people will you know want to connect with their local community. But there's not a lot of space for things in between where, you know, if you're not quite a CS and you're in that same realm, it's like, nah, I'm going to go to the CS instead and go to my local kind of um, community hangout. Is that kind of where you're seeing things going? That, that's a great question. Um, I definitely think that there's a larger trend that, you know, the middle kind of always ends up going away no matter what, right? We see this across not just the events industry, but we see this across companies, right? Like bigger companies get bigger, smaller companies get started, and there's it's kind of this no man's land in between. Um, you know, you talk about like economics, there's usually no middle when it comes to things. So I think it's important to think about it when it comes to this is that I could see it being a trend that these larger events say, look, we need to create these more regional, tighter knit, brand aligned uh, events. Let's acquire the smaller event, keep it small, but rebrand it, right? It's almost kind of like the concept of uh, PAX. Yeah, PAX East, PAX West, and things like that. Um, you know, they could easily do a PAX like global and have everybody go to it, but then you can kind of take these regional events for people that maybe don't want to go to the global one that want maybe a more intimate experience. I think that could be really, really helpful for people. I also think that people really are craving that community element, right? That's a huge trend in the industry right now is how do we create community, how to create year-long engagement. But I think the thing is that when it comes to it is that you can't create community. It's really, not that you can't, it's really hard to create community unless you have that smaller bits along the way to keep you engaged. So, you know, that's why you see so many of these associations, they have a big global conference or a national conference, and then they have their local chapters. But the problem is, is that 
you know, you're not really giving the same brand alignment, the same technologies, things like that to those chapters. So they really feel like a secondhand experience. So you'll hear like so many people who are part of associations, but never go to the local chapter stuff because it feels meh. Well, instead of maybe having a chapter in, you know, every single state and doing meh events, instead maybe like, hey, let's do a Southwest conference and take the budgets of those four chapters put together and make it so they can, uh, you know, have a pretty decent conference with some pretty decent speakers um, and allow them to get exposure to people beyond their normal circles too. Because um, as much as I love, you know, the cool kids club where you know everybody and you're seeing the same people. It's also, I think, really important to be exposed to new people and new ideas. Um, and rather than just be stuck in this, uh, you know, uh, uh, only seeing the same people over and over again, right? You're the average of the five people closest to you. If you literally are only seeing the same five people over and over again, you're never going to grow and change. So there is hope for small or regional events, but as long as they're smart about it is kind of what I'm hearing you saying. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Like, and I think that um, what's definitely changed over the last year is that like education, like, right, like so many of these smaller events, they focus so much on education. It's really hard to get really good education on a lower budget, right? And also, let's pair that with the fact that now people know how to get education without going in person, right? They, they're craving more things like hands-on practicums, they're, they're hand, you know, uh, being able to experiment things, get their hands-on. But if you're just literally having someone go up and talk, I'm going to go and say, Cool. I'll look this person up on YouTube and watch it at two times speed later, or I'll watch it from my couch with my cats. Um, yeah. People will decide that that's not the way they want to engage anymore. So you have to definitely be smart about it, like you were saying. So in this idea of future of the event industry, I think a big part of it is is future of event tech. You know, and, and since mm -hmm. we're both you know, folks so focused on event tech, um, tell me, do you have any sort of piece of event tech that got you? excited uh in the last i don't know month or two months or last while what's the last kind of event new event tech that you saw that you were like wow this is this is cool i can't wait to get my hands on this <laughs> yeah it, it's definitely it's hard to wow me anymore because like i focus so much on outside of the the industry and then like i'm excited when it eventually does come to the events industry um but so let me try to think of something that's like really, really incredible. Um, I think a lot of times like in the events industry too, like it's always technology wise has been, it's, 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 it's second nature, right? Like we joke, we jokingly uh, talk about how like we, uh, on the Tech podcast, Brent and I review like CES and all the tech coming out and we're like, and that will come to the events industry in 10 years uh, <laughs> coming on in. But um, I, I definitely, I, I think everyone's going to be kind of looking for that like immediate like oh, event app or whatever it is. I don't usually have that because also that's not the area I completely focus in. That's why I have an implementation team. But for me, um, I'm really excited for some stuff that's kind of happening outside of it. So um, two things kind of pop into mind that made me go like, oh, ha, oh, cool. This is really neat. So um, and, and I'll give a less recent example and then a more recent example. So less recent example that got me really excited is um, is the area that everyone loves to talk about, but is hopefully eventually going to come to the industry is, is the VR stuff. Um, I remember that I was um, I got I have like a full set VR set up in my house where I can like walk around and do what's called room scale VR. The Quest can do that now, which is really cool. But I played my first game where I played like a first person shooter where I had to like pick up the gun and like pull the actual stock to like redo it. It felt like a realistic experience and felt like I was like on the battlefield, uh, you know, fighting. And I think that that level of immersion is going to be really, really helpful for virtual events moving forward, that meta universe that's going to end up coming. So that was really exciting for me and got really, really stoked by, but let me give a, another example that, um, I first noted was cool a while ago, but then I got to experience it firsthand. Um, mainly because I've recently got into this game is uh, at Fortnite and their concerts that they do. And it's something that like at first I was like, oh, yeah, cool. It's a concert inside of a video game. Who cares? And then I experienced it firsthand and saw like this world that they created. And so for those who have never played Fortnite before, like you buy all these skins, you like literally get to customize your character so much. It's like mind blowing. And this is coming from somebody who plays like Warzone and all these other games that are very similar. But this one's like to the nth degree. But what's also really cool is they emphasize on things that they know are going to help make those concert experiences better. So, for example, you can buy these like dancing emotes with like glow sticks. And like it like there's three different ones where he dances with glow sticks differently. There's ones where he like, you know, they're they're uh, he busting on a DJ setup and he's DJing. And I think it really adds that experience that they know that they not only are this like battle royale kind of like who's the last man surviving, but also as well that they're a concert platform too. Um, most recently, Ariana Grande had a concert 
And it's just re really cool to be able to see. And you think to yourself, okay, cool. They're just going to like put her on a stage virtually and no good to go. If you get a chance, watch the Travis Scott um, concert that recently happened. And the visuals that end up happening, like I was watching a recording of it and I went, oh my gosh, this is so incredible. They're transforming you into different worlds. They custom created all this content. They put a lot of effort into it. And it also put it that you were a part of it. So one of the coolest parts is that they made it where the characters are like floating up and floating down right to the beat of the music. So you really feel like you're part of there. Um, I did a couple uh, during the pandemic. We're looking for unique ways to watch musical artists. We, uh, one of my favorite artists, Matt Zoe, did a Minecraft concert where he built out an entire world in Minecraft. I've, I've never played Minecraft, which is don't ever tell Minecraft my client that. Um, but I decided to play it to do the concert. And it was so cool because you would think that a 2D blocky experience would not be a fun way to enjoy a concert. But the way they customized the world and they added lasers to come out of things and things like that was all using off-the-shelf stuff. They just kind of hacked it and did it in a weird way. And I think that that's a really, really good lesson for planners to be able to look at. Is a, the visual and the feel of the event is really important. But B... The, if you want to be able to do something unique and create a wow experience, it's not going to be an off-the-shelf thing. It's going to be that you trying to figure out how to hack something to do something weird. You might have to actually kind of break things. Uh, I know that obviously you guys started the, the, the event process break stuff. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I think that that's a great example of trying to do something a little bit differently. And, you know, I think that's where I've always seen success is taking something that might not have been purposed for something and instead tweaking it just a little bit. And then people go, whoa, how'd you do that? That's the definition of hacking, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, so so what you're saying, you know, I've been thinking about this for a while, and I had some interviews with other people about similar topics. And I, I definitely see a future where, you know, we always talk about engaging online experiences. And when you talk about Fortnite and Minecraft, they're definitely engaging. People are playing these live. They're playing this with each other. They're They're spending hours at this. Do you see an opportunity for kind of video games that are actually uh, business related. So if you kind of see a, a business video game, but if you do it well, and if you do it in an immersive way, then that could be the conference. Like you talked about a practicum, why not do a practicum through VR, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I think that's a great way of thinking. And I think that's why this larger platform, this metaverse that's eventually gonna exist would be so smart is that, you know, right now it's, yeah, you have to go from Minecraft. And even like in this case, Minecraft to Fortnite, they're on completely different platforms. One's on a computer, one's on the PlayStation 4 or PlayStation 5. It, and you literally have to move and disconnect and do these sort of things. But, you know, I'm imagining a world where, you know, I'm doing having a, a conversation with one of my employees about something. I need to go and speak at a conference. I then just literally, you know, transport, you know, slash command, go to conference. Um, and I go to it and then, oh, hey, I'm going to go attend a conference and I go to that and it's all within one single platform. And I think that that will help a lot in making it easier. But I'm also thinking, you know, when it comes to event professionals, some way that you can implement this is like you said, like maybe instead of deciding to do the, con the, the speaking, uh, you know, through a live stream, what if you put everybody in a game of, you know, uh, a Warzone or a Fortnite and then, but you still stream the audio and then you put, you make a stage in the platform and then have everyone literally use their controllers to move around. And that's how you attend that talk. It breaks people, I think, out of their normal experience. The same reason why we go for walks, the same reason why conferences tend to happen in really lavish remote locations is that when you change your environment, it also creates that creativity, it creates that mind-breaking moment um, that kind of comes in. And I think it's one reason why C2 was so successful is that they did weird stuff like you sit on balls or you know, like, or uh, the swings. They had the swings that you yeah. would do a meeting from. Yeah. I think that sort of stuff really helps you break the way you're thinking. And I think that that can be applied immediately. It's not going to be pretty, right? You can't like make a link where they click on it. They immediately get brought into Fortnite. You might have to say something like, okay, go here, add this person, they'll invite you. And like, there might be a little bit of clunkiness to it, but that clunkiness will get better over time. But I think yeah. you'd be surprised how many people are willing to do clunky in order to get a different experience. But if we're talking about something like a breakout where you're, you know, you're in that room to learn something, would you ever imagine that breakout then being a level of a, of a game? Yeah. 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 I mean, maybe it's something like you tie it into the experience too. Like, um, let's say for example, uh, I'll try to choose like an easy analogy. It might be like something related to building, right? And building a culture of a company. Let's make that's the talk. We're all talking about building culture. How do we build culture within organizations? What if you literally put everybody in Minecraft and you gave them a certain blocks and you helped, like you said something like, well, first start with a base layer of your house. That yeah. is this. 
Oh, like the, the, the Lego tours. serious play kind of thing, but like yeah, a virtual yeah. Right? Kind exactly, of exactly. The same kind of concept. Same, I, and I think that the the best talks that we remember are the ones that do that sort of stuff. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't remember many talks where I sat in a chair, listened to someone on a on a screen or even on a stage, and was like, "Oh my gosh, this changes completely how I'm going to do business or how I'm going to be as a person or whatever it may be." But the ones yep. that make those subtle little things are really, really, I think, where the difference gets made. That's really interesting. Yeah, thanks for going on this little uh, journey with me. I think it's always <laughs> interesting to kind of extrapolate and figure out what, where we think the future might go. Absolutely. Well, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we're, we're almost wrapping up. I just wanted to ask you for a recommendation for someone who you think we should invite to also be a guest on the podcast because we, we'd like to kind of continue this chain of, of goodwill and smart people to have interesting chats with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is the hard question. I, I was like, when you, I knew this question was coming and I had to like have an answer ready to go. And I still don't have one a hundred percent, but you know, and it's also tough cause I'm like trying to remember who you've had on the show already. But <laughs> don't if, worry. I, if, 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 if it's someone we've had on the show, I'll tell you, you can think of someone else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you know, it's an easy answer for me. I'll choose an easy answer and then maybe I can come up with a better one. But the first one, have you had you guys had brand on yet? Not yet. He's been okay, at so, quite a few of our events, but he's not been a guest on the podcast. All right. Brand, Brand, Brand's a good one. Uh, obviously, him and I are really easy. They're, we're very similar too. So, like anyone who's listening to this, if you like me, check out Brant as well. Um, but if I had to pick someone else who would, uh, you know, kind of break things and do things a little bit differently, I would say find one of those artists, a DJ, you know, maybe like Matt Zoe, for example, who did that Minecraft series. Find someone who's did a really cool concert experience, something that people thought could not be replicated online is the idea of being at a concert, being around all the people, but create this experience that people walked away and wanted to talk about. So like Madso, I would recommend, um, you know, for example, a lot of uh, these EDM Insomniac has been doing a really, really great job with it. I think those kind of people are where we need to think about when it comes to the events industry and where we have the potential to use virtual to create these memorable experiences that we thought couldn't be replicated online. That sounds really good. I think it makes sense to get people who are essentially creating events, but don't necessarily think about it as in the same way as, as the event industry people might, and then uh, kind of picking their brains and, and figuring out what's what's interesting and how they see things differently. I think that's excellent advice. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Will, uh, for your generosity, for your time, for being with us. Uh, I hope you enjoyed being on the Event Manager podcast. And uh, where can people find you if they don't know where to find you already? It's been such a pleasure, Miguel. Uh, always get fun getting to talk to you. Um, yeah, if anyone wants to find me, um, helloendless.com is our site. That's where the blog post is. Got tons of resources and awesome that stuff. Like all the podcasts are over there if you want to check them out. If this pot, uh, piqued your interest in any sort of way or you want to check out one of our shows. Um, and then if you ever want to find more information about me, willcurran.com uh, has links to all my social media and everything like that. But um, usually if you find Endless, you can find me pretty quick. I'm usually pretty attached to, to the brand, so you can find me pretty quick. But yeah, check out helloendless.com and uh, reach out if you ever need anything. I'm also on LinkedIn. It's probably where I'm most common. And uh, I try to answer every single LinkedIn message. I'm still getting backlogged of messages through, so <laughs> don't hesitate to reach out. But I'm also on Twitter, Instagram, all those fun stuff. Excellent. Thank you, Will. The chief you, Einstein Will. of endless events. <laughs> Woo! Oh, yeah. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmb.com. 